Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So uh, today we're in part two of our series, What Are You Afraid Of? And we're going to be talking about the fear of rejection. And Abby was about 11 years old when her mother and I got married back in the day. And uh, I guess during that time, if there's one thing she has communicated to me that she struggled with, it's this. And so I thought, I'm going to bring her up and ask her a few questions. And maybe God would just use her to minister to some people in the room who have that same Fear. So I just asked her uh, four or five questions I want to ask her, and you can just listen to some of the answers of the of what she's gone through in life and how God's used that uh, to make her into a stronger woman. So, first one's this. You ready? Oh, you brought your Bible. You're going to preach. Excellent. All right. All right. The first question is: Just briefly describe that part of your story where you felt rejected in your past. I would honestly have to say that, um, like all throughout my life, my dad is. Like the root of my rejection. All right, let's call time out. Uh, first of all, you know, I'm her stepdad, even though she calls me dad, okay? But if she starts bashing me, you need to clarify who you're talking about, okay? Anyways. <laughs> um, for example, just things like, um, like him dropping Chase and I off on the side of the road at 16. Um, just things like him telling the judge uh, when he got his rights taken away that he didn't care that his rights were getting taken away and that he didn't care if he never seen Chase or I ever again. Um, things that, like he said to me, uh, for example, like, I hate you, uh, get out of my life. I never loved you, and him telling me that he hates me uh, and things like that. Um, and I, for another example, I would use in high school, um, not being like a part of the cool kids group uh, for like not drinking or having sex or doing drugs. So. And now she is a drug dealer at Kroger Pharmacy. So I just wanted to clarify that. But uh, yeah, no doubt. So that's some tough stuff that she's gone through. But how has God helped you overcome that fear and use it even to help other people? Um, well, I was talking to Dave and Steph about it, and, uh, like, to be honest, I don't feel like that I have overcome that fear. Um, I still struggle with that, and I get anxious about it a lot. Um, and sometimes I feel like being rejected defines who I am. Um, but God used my mom, actually, <laughs> because um, I used to get, like, mad at Jesus because my name actually means a father's joy, and so I was like, that's kind of like sick humor, you know, like I'm definitely not my father's joy. And so I remember like telling my mom, like, that's just like stupid. I just feel like that was just, you know. And uh, she wrote me a letter for my high school graduation. And she was like, well, you may not be your father's joy, but like you're your heavenly father's joy. And so it was just like, it, that helps me a lot because I may, like, it just changes my perspective on it, so. Okay. Is there a certain scripture that you cling to uh, when you kind of struggle with those feelings of rejection? Um, uh, I would have to say Psalm 139. Um, that helps me a lot, and I can read it, I guess. Uh, uh, starting in 13, when he says, For you form my inner inward parts, 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me, or to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So, that was me. All right. What about a certain Bible character maybe you relate to when it comes to this topic? Um, I would have to say Leah. It's, like, cool that we're, like, talking about that today. But um, just the fact that, like, she was rejected by her dad and... Uh, her husband actually like he didn't really want to be married to her and her sister like they had problems so okay yeah and that's the one we're talking about today here in a few moments but last one is this what would you say to someone who's sitting here today that just has the same struggle as you do um well I uh, read a quote or I read a quote from Lisa Turkhurst and it says there is something, something wonderfully sacred that happens when a girl chooses to realize that being set aside is actually God's call for her to be set apart. Um, and just the fact that, like, we are worth dying for, like the cross. Uh, I am loved, I am worthy, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, we are all pers- loved and pursued by a Savior that gave up his life to show us that we are worth dying for. And that's, like, how much we're loved. Um, Another thing is to spend time with people who truly value you, uh, like Mom, Kenny, Dave, Steph, uh, my granny, and Justin. And then uh, my last one is to like be plugged into serving at church. Uh, it like gave me a bigger purpose to like want to like be out and doing things. So serving at church really helps. So. All right, good stuff. What about being around like Chad and Tammy? Does that help at all? Yeah, Chad or does that, Tammy, does that hurt yeah. things? <laughs> Okay. So the verse you referenced there about being your father's joy, I just want you to know in the KLT translation, the Kenny Living translation says you're your stepfather's joy. I just want you to know that I love you. So, all right, give it up for Abby. Just take it back to the back. We are in part two here of our series, What Are You Afraid Of? Hopefully you're here last week for baptism. That was a cool, cool time and uh, saw some people made new. Um, this fear of rejection, I think a lot of people think, uh, I don't struggle with that, but I think you're going to find out today that most of us do. But I just want you to know, I, I got hit with this this very week, and it was by somebody very close to me. Um, actually, it was my wife. We went and got family pictures made a couple weeks ago on a Sunday, and so we just now got the... Uh, I don't know, was a disc you get? Like, you pay all this money, you don't even get pictures. Did you know that? You guys know? I know you girls know that. But if you go get family pictures made, guys, you don't even get pictures. You pay money and get what, Chad? A floppy disc, okay? Three and a half inch, whatever it is. But anyway, and then you have to actually go pay more money to get your pictures. But So anyway, we got an email the other day from our photographer, and they were good, by the way. And uh, they were on the, you know, Abby and Heather flipping. Oh, look how good they are. They're so wonderful. Right? And anyway, on the picture thing there on the email of the pictures we didn't get, it says McKinney album, right? My name's Kenny McKinney, but you spell my last name M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. Well, Heather looks at it and goes, huh. 
they done spelt our last name wrong. Where did we get the E? And I was like, what do you mean where did we get the E? It's been there since for 46 years in my life that E's been there. She, goes, she thought that they'd spelled my name wrong, so she rejected even having my last name. It was rough last week, but uh, what'd you say? Oh, I thought you said amen. Um, anyway, she just had a little, you know, brain fart there and forgot how to spell her last name. I said, you've been signing like that forever, so... All right, I don't know how many of you struggle with this uh, fear of rejection, but my guess is that many of us do. I remember even as a teenager, okay, a young boy, I, I would never, ever ask a girl out on a date unless I'd already had my friends do the digging and find out what she would say beforehand if I asked. Anybody else like that when you were younger? Yeah, okay. Uh, I was not going to be rejected. And even as I've gotten older, I find myself needing to know the answers beforehand for fear of being rejected. Um, a few months ago, I felt God leading me to apply for a different job within our school system. And, and the process was difficult for me because I thought, well, what if I step out here and I don't get it? And then I just didn't want to face that kind of rejection. But I was pretty certain God was leading me in that direction, and so I faced my fear, applied, and by God's grace, got it, and I feel like it's like the perfect thing for me. I'm, I feel like I'm living in my sweet spot now as far as that goes. But there was a point when I thought, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to apply for this because I feared rejection. Listen, the fear of rejection has intimidated most of us at one time or another in our lives. We don't ask the person out on the date. We don't try out for the team or for the school play. Uh, we don't apply to that college or don't ever submit that manuscript um, for the book that you've written to the publisher, all because we're scared of rejection. Or maybe for some of us, it's when we refuse to let our, our guards down so people can see the real us or get to know the real us, who we really are on the inside. What, what we're really thinking, what we're really feeling, because we're afraid that, hey, if they knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. Or maybe we delay confronting the sinful behavior in our own children, scared that they will reject us. Or we back away from inviting that coworker to church for fear that they'll think that, hey, man, they're just too religious and it will hurt the friendship. And even if we do muster up the courage, you know, to try, we're so nervous that we work ourselves up and, we, and when we talk to them and we, our hands get all sweaty, our mouth gets dry, you know, we use the wrong, wrong words and we, we say some stupid things, I do anyway, when I get like that. We're so afraid of being laughed at, at being rejected, at being all alone. Well, as Abby said this morning, there's a woman in the Bible who, uh, named Leah who faced rejection. She was disrespected by the people that mattered most to her. But, but she faced her fears head on, and she eventually made the most of the opportunity that God had given her. And so what I want to do this morning is take the next few minutes and look at her story. And then I want us to learn some lessons from her experience that will help you and I overcome our fear of rejection as well. Now, Leah's story is interesting, but it's a little difficult to understand because of the cultural differences back in this time. Uh, Leah was, was rather plain looking, but she had this younger sister who was very, very attractive named Rachel. And the scriptures say in Genesis 29 verse 17 that there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. 
Comedian Shonda Pierce said that when she was in the second grade, she realized that she wasn't as attractive as her other sisters. She said she was getting a drink from the water fountain in her church there in the hallway when she overheard two older women behind her talking, and one said, that's the pastor's daughter over there, not very P-R-E-T-T-Y, and said she looked up from the water fountain and said back, no, but very S-M-A-R-T, you know? So um, we may have all uh, faced rejection. Leah realized at an early age that she was going to have to play second fiddle to her younger sister, Rachel. And so she knew what it was like to feel rejection. And to make matters worse, her father, Laban, he was an abusive, deceiving man. He was very concerned that she be married off but had no sensitivity in regards to her feelings when it came to arranging this marriage, how they did back then. So what happens is one day this new guy named Jacob comes to town, and of course, he falls in love with Rachel. And the story doesn't say it, but we get this impression that Leah also loved Jacob, but she kind of kept her feelings hidden and and kind of stayed in the background. And so when Jacob asked Laban for permission to marry Rachel, Laban agreed only if Jacob would work for him for seven years. And so the scriptures say in Genesis 29, 20, that Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. That's one of the more romantic lines in the Bible. If we were to translate that today, it may read something like this. It may read something like, David only had to work seven hours in his flower bed to win Stephanie's love, but he quit after just the second hour because he's an inside dog and manual labor is not his thing. What about that? Is that a good translation? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard those words before several times. I'm an inside dog. That is not my thing. Anyway, Genesis, t- <laughs> I'm just joking, I'm just being serious. Um, Genesis 29, verse 21, look at that. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my, w- <laughs> now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Jacob doesn't hold back any words there, does he? Okay, and what happens next is difficult for us to imagine. But in the late night wedding ceremony, Laban pawns off Leah instead of Rachel as the bride. How do you do that, you know? But look at verse 25. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine the shock that Jacob must have experienced there? I mean, he's probably thinking, man, I remember my mom saying that women don't look as good in the mornings, but goodness gracious, you know, good night. This is a little overboard here, right? Kind of like Cinderella after midnight, you know, this is crazy. So Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? And so Laban goes on to explain that it's their custom, you know, to always marry off the older daughter first. And, and then he'll let Jacob marry Rachel, too, within a week. But, always a but, right? But he'll have to work another seven years. Well, I wonder, how do you think that made Leah feel? You know, what was going through her head? And so I want to share with us this morning five lessons that we can learn from this story about how to deal with our fear of rejection. 
And let's just jump in. I'm going to fly through these. But the first one is this. How do we deal with our fear of rejection? The first one, honestly evaluate why you're afraid. Just, just be real and honest. Let's be real and honest with ourselves. Let's not try to rationalize it. Let's not try to deny it. Let's not say, you know what? I'm not really afraid. It's just that the selection process is rigged. Or it's just that the coach doesn't, doesn't like me. You know, it's just that, you know, they wouldn't even come to our house if we asked them to. Let's just be honest enough to say, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm afraid that if I try, I'll be rejected. And then my self-esteem will hit rock bottom. And the truth is, I just don't want to feel that kind of hurt. That's the truth. Psalm 56.3 says this, but when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. And the psalmist doesn't, doesn't tell us what he's afraid of, but at least he admits that he's afraid. Leah, she knew exactly where she stood, and she faced the fact that she was not as attractive as Rachel. She was in danger of one denial after another, but that did not prevent her from getting involved in seeking the love of her husband. The second thing is this. We should get our self-worth from our relationship with God and not from the approval of people. Guys, if we get our self-esteem from the way that other people respond to us, then we are most likely going to be people-pleasers all of our lives, and we're constantly, continually going to live in this fear of being rejected. But listen, there's always a but. But if we understand that the creator of the universe, he sees, he hears, and he loves us just as we are. And if that's what really matters to you, then listen, we are much less likely to be afraid of how other people react to us. Look at Psalm 56, 11. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Let's say that you're driving up Interstate 75 uh, near Lexington, and it's, let's say it's late one winter night, and the car in front of you starts to skid and goes off the median and kind of gets stuck there. And so you pull over and you stop to help uh, the driver, and to your surprise, out of the vehicle steps UK basketball coach John Calipari. That'd be crazy, right? But he needs help, and so you talk to him there and you say, hey, I'll give you a ride home. I don't care a bit. And you drive into his house. And he's very, very grateful. And he expresses that by giving you a ticket to the next basketball game. And not only that, but he asks you to sit on the bench with the team. Right? And so the next game, you go and you walk in and an usher stops you just before you get to the floor and, and says you can't go any further. Now, under normal circumstances, you would lose that battle, wouldn't you? And then you'd feel humiliated and embarrassed. But you know the coach. And after a few minutes, he comes out, he sees you, he greets you, and he, and he tells you, hey, come on down, come on down, I want you to sit on the bench with the team. Now, the reason that you don't feel threatened by that usher is because you know the coach, and Rupp Arena is his castle. Now listen, if we realize that the owner of the universe the one who holds the whole world in his hands, knows our name, loves us, accepts us, and is our best friend, then we'd have so much more confidence and we would have so much less fear of other people, wouldn't we? 
Because that's the truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, Paul said, The the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But, there's always a but, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. Now, Paul's not being mysterious or spooky here, the Lord standing next to me, you know. He's just telling us that if we really put our trust in God and not in man, then we quit fearing other people's opinions so much. Leah. Leah turns her self-pity into praise. You know, when her fourth child was born, she didn't say, well, maybe my husband will accept me now, as she did say three other times before then. Nope. This time, you know what she said? She said, praise God. Praise God. And she named him Judah, and God became the source of her satisfaction, not man. God's love had become enough. His grace had become sufficient for her. Third thing is this. Expect some rejection in life and regard it as a test. We have to learn to expect it, and not only that, but regard it as a test. It's said in the sales business that employees have to cope with being rejected about 95% of the time. 95% of the time, that's a lot, you know. All of us will encounter rejection at some point in life, and it's oftentimes just a test. It's a test to see how humble we are and how real that our trust in God is. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because what? Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to who? To those who love him. Okay, and as Forrest Gump says, that's all I've got to say about that one. Number four, force yourself to take the risk. Listen, even if you're afraid, even if you're afraid, force yourself to take the risk. Leah didn't turn away from Jacob. No, she continued to love him. Listen, guys, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is action, listen, in spite of our fears, right? I mean, it takes a lot of courage to face your fears, and oftentimes the only way, the only way to overcome them is just to gut it out, just to gut it out. I heard about a high school senior who had received a letter stating he didn't get accepted into the university that he wanted to go to, and so you know what he did? He writes a letter to the admissions office, okay, he writes them back, responding to the rejection. Here's what he said. He said, Dear admissions officer, I am in receipt of your rejection of my application, and as much as I would like to accommodate you, I find that I can't accept it. You see, I've already received four rejections from other colleges, and this is an unacceptable number to me, and quite frankly, it's over my limit. Therefore, (laughs) this is great. Therefore, I must reject your rejection and will report for classes on September the 18th. Okay? That's what he said. And you know, listen, sometimes we have to be courageous enough to reject the rejection and keep going, don't we? Just to reject the rejection. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. There's none. Why? Perfect love, it drives out fear 
Because fear has to do with what? With punishment, right? But the one who fears is not made perfect in love, it says. Last one is this. Get your mind off yourself and on to serving other people. Get our minds off of ourselves and on to serving other people. Look at Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul says in this letter, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. In humility, value other people above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. One of the, the best-selling Christian book of all time, you know, is called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And the opening line of that book says, it's not about you. It's not about you. And guys, when we understand that all of life does not revolve around us, we exist to serve God and other people, it makes a huge difference in how we overcome our fear of rejection. When, when we're self-conscious, we are more likely to be rejected. Why? Because we become clingy, needy, and undesirable. And nobody wants to be around someone that can potentially just drain all of their energy. So, somebody that's going to demand all of their attention. And so what happens? People back away. But when we're conscious of other people, we're free and likely to have more close, intimate friends. Leah she may have been rejected by her sister, by her father, by her husband. But listen, those babies needed her, and God was using her. You know, maybe that's why Jacob seemed to take more of an interest in Leah as she grew older. She be became a deeper, more attractive person to him, perhaps because she wasn't self-centered. You know? Here's what's crazy is that in the Bible, we read that it was Leah not Rachel, who was buried with Jacob in the family grave. And you know what that indicates to me? That indicates to me that he had come to appreciate her more in her older years. And, and even on to that, you know, in the New Testament, this story has a very happy ending for Leah. Look at Matthew chapter 1, uh, the first two verses. It's that genealogy chapter, and it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah. Remember that. And his brothers. You know what? If we, if we listed the mothers who were the ancestors of Jesus, you know what it would be? It would be Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. Two beautiful women loved by their husbands and one tender-eyed woman who was especially loved by God. But listen, you see, it was Leah's Judah, not Rachel's Joseph, who became the ancestor of the Messiah. Hebrews 7.14 says, For it is clear that our Lord descended from who? From Judah. And so listen, God used Leah this, this ordinary, imperfect woman in a marvelous way to be the ancestor of the one to who this day is called what? The Lion of Judah. Isn't that cool? And Leah's life had meaning after she got her mind off of herself and on to serving God. 
I want to close with a story of a guy named Sir Thomas More, who was a 19th century Irish poet. He married early in his life to a beautiful actress, and historians tell us that his wife Elizabeth's beauty was unsurpassed and that she and Thomas were very, very happy in the early months of their marriage. But, but the time came when Thomas had to leave home for months because of financial pressures. And during his absence, his wife contracted smallpox, and, and the dreaded disease left her with marks all over her face, and it disfigured her beautiful appearance. And she was so scared of Thomas's rejection that, that she decided in her heart that when he comes home, he's never going to see my face in the light of day again. And so she kept to herself in her room, and she had these heavy drapes fitted for the bedroom to block out all of the sun's rays, you know. Sir Thomas returned late one evening, and he learned from the household staff what had happened to his once lovely wife. And he, he immediately went into her room, and she stopped him and said, No, Thomas, no, don't, don't come any closer. I've decided you're not going to see my face as I am in the light of day again. And so he turned and he left the room, but he went down to the music room that night and he wrote a poem. And early in the morning, he came to the door of the bedroom, and there in the half-light of the hallway, he read to her the words of his poem. And it said this, Believe me, if all those endearing young charms which I look on so fondly today were to pass in a moment and flee from my arms like fairy dreams fading away, thou would still be adored at this moment thou art. Let thy loveliness phase at will around thy dear visage. Each throb of my heart would entwine itself verdantly still. And he finished reading the poem. He put it in his vest and he walked over to that east window and he threw open the drapes. And the light of dawn just came flooding through. And he just turned just in time to receive his wife as she leaps into his arms. And there the two of them knew the embrace that only true love can know. Listen, we have all contracted the dreaded disease of sin. And we have been permanently scarred. But Jesus still sees the value in us. And he loves us anyway. And when we allow the light of the world in, he takes us into his arms. And he loves us in spite of our scars. Zephaniah 3.17, I love the second part of that verse where it says, He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. But what's he do? I love this. He rejoices over you with singing. Have you ever looked at God like that? Have you ever realized in your life that's how God feels about you? That he takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you with singing. Listen, regardless of how ordinary you may feel that you are to the world, regardless of your past, no matter how scarred your heart, no one ever cares for you like Jesus does. No one. And he proved that love for die, by dying for our sins on that cross. And he said that whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever drive away. Will you be part of that whoever today?
Though your sins be as scarlet, will you let Jesus wash them as white as snow today? Nobody will ever love you. Nobody will ever accept you the way that Jesus does. I want to encourage you just to surrender, to throw in the white towel, the white flag, and simply say, God, I'm yours. I want to follow you today with my whole heart. My, my people-pleasing days, those are over. With your help, I'm going to repent of my sins and trust that what you did on that cross is enough. It's enough for me that, that I no longer have to fear rejection because the creator of the universe loves me dearly and has accepted me just as I am, just as I am. Would you tell him that today as we stand and sing this last song together? I'm going to pray for us as the band comes up. Dear God, I know there's people in the room who struggle with this uh, feeling of rejection, like they're not good enough. Would you let the words of the scriptures this morning penetrate their hearts? And just let them know that this world's your castle and that you're the creator, that you love them more than anything and that you do rejoice over them with singing, that they are adored by you. Let that be enough just to be ambushed by your grace, your forgiveness, your love, and your mercy to cause some people just to come home running into your big arms and let them know that they need the light of day to flood into their souls. Would you let that happen in this place this morning? And it's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen.